you. I'm just loving having the kids read the scripture. Are y'all enjoying that? Yeah, it's just so great. So great. Thanks, Zoe, for reading that for us. That was outstanding. So if you didn't see on the screen just a few seconds ago, today's passage is Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 18. So I want to encourage you to go ahead, head over to Matthew 4, uh, starting in verse 18. Just a, a couple of announcements as you're headed over that way. Uh, I want to remind you that we are in the season of Advent, as we just talked about. And uh, we have an Advent devotional that uh, one of our longtime church members, Patty Carver, has written. It's just a powerful devotional. I think you'll love it. It's free to you. Just pick it up out there in the atrium. I want to encourage you to grab one of these and, uh, and, and read along with us as we march towards Christmas and thinking about the coming of the Christ child and the way that God entered into the world and will one day enter into the world again. Now, as you do that, um, you'll see these baskets are out here in the atrium. You can also grab hopefully a handful of Christmas Eve invites. Um, You know, Christmas is one of the two days in the year, basically Christmas and Easter, when people who are not necessarily part of a church or really have a relationship with God may think about giving God a shot or giving church a shot. And I would just tell you right now, we've seen lots of folks become believers and become part of this church over the years through Christmas and Easter services. And so I would encourage you, grab a handful of these invites and give them to your friends, your neighbors, give them to strangers. That's fine too. You can do whatever, right? And just invite folks to come. And we hope that you'll be here as we preach the gospel and give people an opportunity to respond. This year on Christmas Eve, we're going to have two services on the 23rd and two services on the 24th. Both of our services services on the 23rd will be outside and we'll have uh, s'mores and interactive nativity and uh, all kinds of great stuff. And then both of our services on the 24th will be inside and the services that'll be uh, indoors on the 24th will have a you know, photo booth and uh, cookies and cocoa, that kind of stuff. They're, they're, both days are going to be great. All four services will be identical. So just pick the day that makes the most sense for you, for your family, for your friends. So we'd love to have you here December 23rd, 24th. Now, as part of that, every year we take a special offering at our Christmas Eve services to try to do something positive in our community. One of the things that we found out about several years ago was that there's a lot of folks in our zip code who struggle with overwhelming medical debt. There is an organization called RIP Medical Debt that we've partnered with two years previous. We're going to partner with them again this year. They do a really cool thing. They purchase outstanding medical debt and then knock it out. And this is the neat thing. For every dollar that we give, they're able to cancel $100 worth of medical debt. So that means uh, we've set a goal to bring in $30,000 at those four services for uh, medical debt. And if we bring in $30,000, get this, we will cancel out $3 million of medical debt. And it will be for families right here in our zip code. Is that not awesome? Yeah, it's really cool. So I just want to encourage you now uh, to, to plan to participate in that and to show up at the Christmas Eve services ready to give. If for whatever reason you can't be here, it's already available online. You can go online, select the big give and give to that. Anything that we give above and beyond that will then go to support our international missions offering. And so you guys have had the opportunity to hear from uh, the Edenfields, uh, Mick Stockwell uh, recently, um, uh, Pastor V, who is uh, with us with, uh, with Mick. 
all of those extra dollars will go to help start churches and support missions in nations outside of North America. So just exciting stuff. I want to encourage you to participate in that. So it's going to be a lot of fun and I want to encourage you to give towards that. All right. Now, as, uh, as I've already mentioned, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 4 today. Uh, before we start, I just want to give a brief introduction to the Bible. For people in the room who may or may not understand it, maybe this is your first time, I want to tell you what the Bible is. So the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now the Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, and tells us about how they were looking for a, a Messiah that would be rescuer or redeemer. They, they were under the thumb of the Roman government and they thought there would be a military or a political leader who would somehow overthrow Roman oppression. Well, then we get to the second part of the Bible, <clears throat> and the second part of the Bible is called the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we find out that Jesus is the Messiah, but Jesus of Nazareth is not um, a political leader or a military leader, but instead, he is God's very son. So, he's God in flesh. And we discover he's born of a virgin. He lives a sinless life, showing us the way to live. And then, <clears throat> pardon me, he's crucified on a cross. So, when he's crucified... His initial disciples thought, oh, well, this means that he wasn't really the, the Messiah. But what we turn to find out is that he's resurrected three days later. So they realized, oh, he really is the Messiah. So what was his death about? His death was a sacrifice that paid the price for your sin and for mine. And then get this, his resurrection three days later lets us know that Jesus being raised from the dead is God's sign saying, hey, I will raise you from the dead one day to have eternity with me. So those who place their faith in Jesus get a way to live the life. We refer to that as the kingdom of God. They get forgiveness from sin, they get the promise of eternity, and they get the power to live that way now. That's called the Holy Spirit. So I share all that with you. That, that message, that, that message is called the gospel. It's called good news. And so we're preaching that message today. It's the same thing the church was preaching 2,000 years ago. And if you have yet to place your faith in Jesus, you can do so today and join in this community trying to bring this sort of peace vision, this gospel uh, vision to the world. So I want to encourage you in that. Now, today we're reading in Matthew 4, and we've already actually heard the reading from Matthew 4. Zoe read it for us. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to jump right in. Okay, so let's pray, and then let's just ask God to meet us in this place, then to speak to us through Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, that, that we can hear from you, and Lord, that we know that you'll meet with us today. And God, our prayer is that anyone who's here right now that has yet to surrender to you, submit to you, will do so. And that, Father, also anybody who just feels stuck, Lord, that you'll, you'll somehow nudge them and find a way to move things forward. And Lord, I, I don't know how you do that, but I know that you do. God, so our prayer is just meet us in this place, speak to us supernaturally, and do something beautiful in each heart. So Lord, through your word and through the words of my mouth, we ask that you do a miracle. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Early on in our marriage, uh, I had a problem with my temper. And what I mean by that is, is that um, I really wouldn't say anything that was bothering me for a very long time. And then when I would finally say something, I would sort of erupt like a volcano, right? That went really well, as you can imagine, right? So I, I mentioned this because what I didn't know early on in marriage was that after you erupt like a volcano, you still have to live with this person, right? 
And so then there's this sort of weird moment after you kind of made a fool of yourself where it's like, okay, so now, you know, we acknowledge one another's existence, you know, in the house. It's like, you know, but we're not really talking to each other, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's really kind of a weird thing. And I mention this because um, that's not peace, is it? I mean, we're not yelling at each other. You know, no shots being fired, but that, that's not peace uh, because peace is not simply the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of people shooting at each other. Uh, years ago, um, I had the opportunity to go to Israel for the first time. I went to Jerusalem, and there was this, uh, this hand-painted tile, ceramic tile, that was in a, a shop, and I loved, you know, totally targeted at tourists, but I loved um, the phrase that was on it. Hand-painted, it said, Shalom, y'all. <laughs> and I love that because Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. And if you look in the Bible and you read about peace in the Bible, you come to discover that shalom is not, as I've already said, the absence of shooting at each other, the absence of yelling at each other. Shalom is God's design for flourishing. A lot of us tend to think that peace means, well, we're not yelling at each other. But peace actually means we're both flourishing, if that's in a marriage situation. In a church situation, Shalom means we're all becoming who God wants us to be so that we can be the community witnessing to this Jesus. That's what shalom is. Now, I mention that because today we're in a world where when we think about peace, it's all kinds of baffling things because most people in today's world think that they find peace through freedom. You know, I just get to choose what I want. And actually, we're going to see that the backwards way of Christmas is that you find the highest level of peace, not in freedom, but in choosing to follow. So I want us to look at this story that, that Zoe read for us earlier, and I just want us to notice some things in these four or five verses about what it looked like whenever people decided to surrender to Jesus. So I want to just start first with the fact that whenever Jesus calls disciples and invites them uh, to become people who are people of peace, it starts with Jesus seeing. So Jesus sees. Uh, there's a scholar by the name of Ray Vanderland, fantastic last name, Dutch. So Ray Vanderland, who talks about the way that Jesus and other rabbis in ancient Israel would call students. And the way that the rabbi would do this would first be that, the, you know, the rabbi would identify a potential student. So if you look here in Matthew 4, and you see in verse 18, you see that Jesus saw two brothers. So Jesus sees them. So the way that this is working is that Jesus says, I am going to pick the people that I want to have be my students. Now, if you're in this room and you've already come to faith in Christ, you're a Christian, good news Jesus looked out and, and saw you and picked you. So, good news. There is a bad news portion, though. Sorry about that. So, who are the sorts of people that Jesus picks? Well, I think that Eugene Peterson, whenever he translated 1 Corinthians in the message, really got to the heart of it. So, let's just look at this. Who is it that Jesus calls? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Congratulations, everyone. 
Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. So, good news, Jesus picked you. Bad news, you're totally unqualified, right? So, Jesus sees What's the next thing that happens? Well, then Jesus calls. So, again, back to Vanderland, if we were going to look at his work, you would be invited to follow a rabbi. So, if a rabbi says to you, follow me, that would be the official invitation to become a student of the rabbi. So, what did that mean? Well, rabbis were known for having a distinct teaching That was the way that they set themselves apart from other rabbis. Jesus was a rabbi in that day, a teacher, and he set himself apart by having his own distinct teaching. We call that the kingdom of God. But in uh, Matthew, as we read a little bit further along, we, we get a clue. And this is the thing I want you to hear. The teachings that rabbis would have would be called a yoke. Not Y-O-L-K, but Y-O-K-E. And so, whenever Jesus later says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's letting them know the way that I teach is different from the law. So, whenever Jesus calls the the fishermen, he's calling them to live and to follow him, but he's not just calling them to believe in Jesus, he's calling them to live in a totally different way, to follow his teaching. The way that Vanderland popularized or explains this is that there was a popular phrase in ancient Israel, that if you were the student of a rabbi, check this out, you were to follow the rabbi so closely that the dust from his sandals would get on your robe. You just kind of, you know, that picture of just like right behind them, just walking along. So Jesus sees, and then Jesus calls you in. But again, let's go back to who Jesus picked. Like, Congratulations, unqualified losers. I've chosen you, right? I mean, that's what Jesus does. He picks me, picks you. It's like whenever, G, whenever Joy asks me to fold the fitted sheet. Like, I mean, it's going to be wadded up in a ball and stuffed in the closet. I mean, it's off the couch. I guess that's a good thing. Like, and don't be sending me your videos. I've watched them all. I still fail, okay? It's fine. I've just... Reached a point in my life, I'm like, it's just not a skill I'm going to pick up. I'm going to move on to other parts of my life. Okay, but here's the thing. Jesus looks at us, and he says, you're completely unqualified, and yet he calls you anyway. Now, think about this. He doesn't go to the synagogue and pick the guys who have memorized the scriptures. He's like, I want to go down to the docks. Those are the guys I want to follow me. And that's what he was thinking when he picked us. So, Jesus sees, Jesus calls. Now, then here's the next thing. Jesus redefines. Jesus redefines. And this is the thing that I want you to recognize. Jesus tells them in verse 19, you're not going to be fishermen any longer, but now you're going to, be, you're going to fish for people. And this is what I want us to notice, that this is not just like a cool play on words or a cool metaphor. 
But this is literally, literally Jesus redefining their lives, right? So if they were to introduce themselves, you know, hey, I'm Peter, I'm a fisherman. And it's like, hey, we're going to just take that label off. We're going to do something else. You're going to now lead with, I follow Jesus as my rabbi. I think that peace begins to come into our hearts and our lives when we start with the labels that Jesus wants to put on us instead of the other labels in our lives. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I use a lot of different labels to identify myself, right? You know, I'm, a, well, I'm an American, I'm a Texan, I'm a Houstonian. Or, you know, some of us might be like, well, you know, Republican, Democrat, or liberal, conservative. The truth is, is that we can have any number of labels that we would put on ourselves, but this is the thing. Those labels will invariably come into conflict with Jesus' definition of who you are, which is his disciple, his student, following him. Years ago, I worked at a, a church um, with one of my dear friends. Her name was Beth, and uh, Beth went to be with the Lord many years ago, but Beth was one of my best friends. We grew up together, and um, uh, she was a kid's pastor at the church where, I, where we served, and um, she had two things that she cared passionately about. One of those things was safety. You know, like she's a kid's pastor. You know, kid's pastors, they're just fired up about safety, right? We keep these kids safe. And then she was fired up about another thing, which was cleanliness, okay? Like she wanted things to be clean, spotless, you know, sanitized. I mean, many people in this room could, you know, yep, two great values. So we had this interesting thing that happened where um, we were in this really old building, the church where we served, uh, you know, like 100 years old or whatever. And so uh, the kids couldn't reach the sink the little kids, but she wanted them to wash their hands because remember, high value cleanliness, right? And so she put a footstool in there, but like not long after getting the footstool, one of the kids standing on it like stood on it wrong and it tipped over and the kid like got hurt. So it's like then that, that hurts the other value, which was safety. And so then I just remember we had like this really interesting moment where it was, well, do I value safety or cleanliness more? Do I want the kids to run around with dirty hands or do I want the kids to potentially bust their chins wide open, right? So your values come into conflict. Has anybody ever been in a spot in your life where you have some things that you value and they come into conflict? You ever had that happen? Yes. Okay, right. What Jesus is saying is whenever your identification as a Christian, may come into conflict with any of these other labels, Christian always wins. Always the label, the identifier that comes first, right? A lot of us, you know, we, identi we uh, introduce ourselves with our job titles, right? I mean, I don't because then people run away, but a lot of other people do, right? You know, <laughs> hey, I'm a pastor. They're like, yep, yeah, don't want to talk to you anymore. Okay, that's good, but... Like whenever I would start like writing blogs and stuff for the church for a while, I would just tell people I'm a writer, you know. I write blogs, I write sermons, I don't want you to run away from me, right? But they eventually find out. Yeah, okay, so. At any rate, here's the thing. So you're talking about your, your job title, right? So you introduce, hey, I'm a teacher, I'm a lawyer, I'm, you know, whatever, right? What if, what if the way that we introduced ourselves was, hey, my name's Steve, I'm a Christian, thinly disguised as a you know, blank, whatever that is, whatever your job description is. You know, Michael Zigarelli at Messiah University talked about that. And I think the thing that's interesting is, is that we, we, we sort of come to this point where what we have to do is we have to give top billing 
to Jesus. Now, this matters because in the world, you will always be tempted to follow some other philosophy, some other teacher other than Jesus. In America, again, the highest value is freedom, getting to pick what I want. In Christianity, in the kingdom of God, the highest value is following Jesus. Okay? So now, what do we do about that? So Jesus sees, Jesus calls, Jesus defines what happens. Fourth thing, we trust. We trust. So the Bible tells us that the disciples immediately put down their nets and they follow him. Now we know that they're still fishermen, but they've decided that the first thing that they will do in their lives is they will follow Jesus over everything else. So I want to talk about what it means to be a disciple, and I, and I hope you'll listen to me pretty closely on this. Like, whenever you think about what it means to be a disciple, most people think it means Bible knowledge, right? And I want you all to hear me on this. Love, I love the Scriptures. I love studying the Bible. I want you to hear me on this, though. If Bible study alone was enough, Houston would be 100% Christian, Right? I mean, there's tens of thousands of Bible studies that happen in our city every week. Bible study alone won't do anything. Right? Disciples do two things. They hear and they obey. Many of us have studied the Bible, but we've never actually decided we're going to live the thing that we've heard. I love the way that I heard a pastor put it many years ago. Most Christians I know are 3,000 Bible verses overweight. <laughs> you know? It's like, we know a lot of Bible, but do we actually live the Bible that we know? It's sort of the difference between, you know, like watching the World Cup and playing in the World Cup. You know, it's like really cool if you know like a couple of cool soccer facts, you know, oh yeah, I really like Christian Pulisic, or they put Aronson in around the 65th minute, or you know, whatever, that kind of a thing. That's neat, but that's totally different than like being on the pitch, right? Completely different. And the thing that I want you to recognize is that a lot of people have convinced themselves that they're a Christian because they know a lot of things about Jesus, but they're not actually following Jesus. So if you're going to trust Jesus, what does that look like? Okay, so I want to talk about that for just a second. So what does it look like to trust? Well, so you do first trust in faith. So whenever we say faith, what do we mean by that? So we mean that you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And who did Jesus say that he was? You're son of God. He's the Messiah. He's sinless. We believe that Jesus died a sacrificial death for our sin. We believe that Jesus literally raised from the grave three days later. We believe that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We believe that he's gifted us the Holy Spirit. We believe all of those things. And so what happens is, is you believe that. But if you believe that here, you also believe it here. Right? You can't just assent to it intellectually. You actually have to allow that belief to affect your life. In, uh, in Deuteronomy 6, there's that, that famous prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word here is the word in Hebrew, Shema. And that word here actually has two meanings. It means hear and obey. And did you know that the word faith has the same meaning? It means that you believe it here and here. Right? You're going to actually do something with the things that you hear. So you trust Jesus here and here. And so once you do that, then you're able to live it. Now, 
If you're paying attention, you're like, now wait a minute, Steve. You told me at the beginning of this sermon, I'm completely unqualified and I can't live it out. And now you're telling me if I believe, then I'll be able to live it out? Thank you for paying attention. If you didn't pick up on that, just go with it and act like you did. Okay, so here we go. Here's the thing. You cannot live that out until you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus who lives in believers. The way that it works, we kind of put together a slide. I want you to just take a look at this slide. The way that it works is, as you hear the gospel message preached, the gospel stirs you to faith then through faith, you say yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and only once the Holy Spirit comes into your life, then are you able to follow, to obey, to live it out. So gospel, faith, spirit, then you can obey, then you can live it out. If you do not have the spirit, you will not be able to obey. And if you're not obeying, you don't really believe. Now, you're thinking, well, okay, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you truly trusted him? Uh, many years ago, my kids got this thing that's called a Newton's Cradle. Now, I didn't know the name of it. Um, I just thought it was one of those things you put on somebody's desk, you know, just had the pendulums on it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, but it's called a Newton's Cradle because it's going to teach you about different laws of physics. Uh, but you know this, right? You sit it there on the desk, you grab the marble on the far end, you lift it up, you drop it. What happens? Then they click back and forth, click, 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 right? You know this. But if you don't pick up the far marble, does anything happen? No. I mean, what if I stare at it really hard? Will it move? No. It won't. You have to have an outside force act on it, take that first marble, pull it back, and release it. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Many of us don't recognize that the outside force necessary to move us to a place of obedience is the Holy Spirit. Things won't start clicking with you and God, click, 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 until you have the Holy Spirit in your life. So a lot of us, you know what we do? Is we come to church and we're doing the spiritual equivalent of staring at Newton's cradle really hard. I'm going to listen to the sermon really hard today. and Then God's going to be able to move in my life. Took a lot of notes. Going to happen. I served at the Christmas shop yesterday. Man, you know, I'm, I'm participating in three Bible studies a week. And what we think is, is that that sort of activity will make things happen. I mean, maybe the marbles might sway a tiny bit, but you're not clicking. The only way that you actually get clicking is if you believe on Jesus through faith by grace. You only receive that grace, right? Once the grace comes into your life, you believe once that grace comes in, then the Holy Spirit comes. Now listen to me. Many of us miss out on grace because we don't understand how desperate our need is. So the Bible is pretty clear. Like, he, Paul uses all kinds of crazy words. You're enemies of God. Like, whoa, I don't want to be a, an enemy of God. There's all kinds of verses about, you know, God's wrath or punishment or this kind of stuff. Here's the thing I want you to hear. The only way that you get out from under being God's enemy or wrath or any of that kind of stuff 
is through God's grace. And the only way you get God's grace is through faith. The place that it starts is when you recognize that you and I are completely incapable of doing anything in our lives that looks anything remotely like Jesus until we have the grace of God and only then does the Spirit of God move in. So what happens is, is that a lot of us try to stir the religion pot, thinking, man, I'll just stir it up and maybe something will stick to the wall. But nothing is going to happen until you finally decide, I am placing my trust in Jesus. Only then can the Holy Spirit move in, and only then can the movement come, and only then can things begin to happen. It starts with recognition and repentance. Man, a, a lot of us, a lot of us are like, well, I, I want to be a good person. You can't be. You need Jesus to change you. I'll hear people say things like, well, I'm going to get my life right, and then I'll get baptized. I'm going to get my life right, then I'm going to become a Christian. No. Like, the only way you get changed is you place your faith in Jesus, and then he changes you through the Spirit. A lot of people, when we're trying to stir that religion pot, you know what we need? We need first to just recognize how far from God we've been and just cry out to him and say, God, I need you. We need repentance. We need confession. We need tears. I'm in need because apart from you, God, I am condemned. You cannot drag grace into your life by getting your life together, by cleaning yourself up. You cannot do it. Surrender today and ask for Jesus and he'll clean you up. So the thing that I want you to recognize on this Advent Sunday of peace, as the scripture calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, as we read about the peace that surpasses understanding in the Bible, as Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, how do we get this kind of peace? I don't know about you, but sometimes I just look at the world and it's just so dark, and I think, how, how can peace ever come in? I don't know if you're following this story right now, and I might be completely butchering the name, uh, but there's this story in the news of this Italian designer, Balenciaga, that had these like teddy bears that were involved in a fashion show that were sort of like these subtle child porn messages that were imported into this fashion show. And then like if you read the articles and go down the rabbit hole on that, you'll just be like, wow, I can't believe how you know, dark this thing got. You can change the channel and see war in Ukraine, change the channel, a shooting at Walmart. You know, you just kind of go more and more and more and more and more. And you can say, how does peace ever come into the world? And whenever you're kind of looking out there and you're going, man, how, how does peace come into the world? The thing that I want you to recognize is that peace has to come in in a specific way. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you look at all this stuff and, and, and like my flesh sometimes just kind of riles up. And like my Texan sort of takes over, and I'm like, if I had enough bullets, I could set this thing right, you know, like that. You ever have that kind of a, a thing kind of rise up in you, right? That's just how I was raised, you guys, sorry. Like, you know, that, that kind of thing like kind of comes up inside of you. And here's the thing I want you to recognize is that a lot of people are convinced that peace enters in through a show of force, but it doesn't. And go all the way back all the way back to that opening story that I told you about whenever I was young and married and dumb and think if I yelled real loud that it would make things better. Does that bring peace in? No. You know what would make things peaceful with my wife? Apologizing. I'm sorry I was an idiot. 
A lot of us think that peace is going to enter the world or our house because somebody strong enough is going to finally break it down. And that's not what Jesus did, is it? Came in a barn, in a backwater town that nobody had ever heard of. He lived a humble life, best we can tell, never married, never owned anything. And his life ends on a cross. And that's the way the peace comes into the world. You see, peace doesn't come in through an outsized show of force. What does an outsized show of force do? You you already know this. Look at the protests in China. Look at the protests in Iran right now, right? You think an iron-fisted government could keep that stuff under control, but eventually that sort of pressure, that sort of anger, that sort of force eventually builds up enough resentment where people push back. And if you're like that in your home, you're like that in your workplace, you're like that anywhere, what happens? People may put up with it for a while, but finally they just push back. You can't create peace through strength. You might be able, you might be able to keep people from shooting each other, but you're not bringing in shalom. You're not entering in God's flourishing. The only way that God's flourishing comes in, it's through the backwards way of Jesus. How does peace come in? Paul Miller talks about this thing called the J-curve of the Christian life. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Just kind of hang with me. Think about the letter J, okay? So I'm going to turn around, right? So letter J, think about that J the, there at the, the left side of the letter. It goes down, goes down, and then comes up. And this is what he says. In the Christian life, over and over, before there can ever be any ascent to glory or resurrection, there has to be a descent into service or death. So Jesus, crucified, then resurrected, right? Now think about in your own life. You want to have peace? So what do you have to do? (laughs) Serve, right? And then there can be transformation. Just think about all of the different ways that this plays out. Like in our world, we're thinking, man, if we could just finally crush the rebellion, whatever that may look like in all these other groups, then there'd finally be peace. That's not going to happen. How does peace enter into the world? Die to ourselves, and then we can experience a new life. And as that happens, what then happens? Then people are invited in. You see, the thing is, is we're never going to be able to crush all of the sin in the world. And God didn't crush your sin, did he? Not, not that way. The way that your sin was crushed was that you voluntarily gave it over, and then on the cross it was destroyed. So you have to voluntarily hand it over first. If you're not going to voluntarily hand it over, you know what God will do? He'll just let you run with it. So there's a lot of people in the world that are going to be broken and messed up, and God's just going to let them run with that. So what do we do? As an alternative, we create a community of shalom. We create houses of shalom. We create relationships and friendships of shalom where we die to ourselves, serve others, love others. We do this and then what happens? Then we find this incredible transformation in the ascent. So some of us have never placed our faith in Jesus, and so we're not experiencing the blessing of ascent. Why? So here's the thing. If you, if you have a lot of money or power or opportunity, you're probably like, well, I'll try Jesus later. And that's the way that most of us work. I'll wait till I'm at the end of my rope, then I'll come back to God. But what I want you to hear, I got all the time in the world, but Jesus may not. 
But what I want you to know is that until you surrender, confess, repent, apologize, all that, then you can finally get the opportunity for glory, for resurrection, for transformation. Because this is what God wants for you. So today what I want you to hear is that God wants to give you shalom, peace, flourishing. He wants you to have it in your marriage, in your house, in your friendships. He wants you to experience it at work. He wants you to experience it in the church. He wants you to have it in your Bible studies. But he also wants you to understand that peace comes when we submit to his way instead of our way. And he wants you to recognize that you have to trust who he is, trust his way, and to live it out. And if we'll do that, we may not see everything else in the world destroyed that's evil, but we will see something beautiful created that others can be invited into. And to me, that's shalom, y'all. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity today to just come and to hear your word. And Lord, I, my, my prayer right now is that anybody who is here who needs your peace will just submit. Lord, I, I don't know if they've, they've yet to believe in you that they'll, they'll do so today. Father, if they've already believed in you, but they, they didn't really let your spirit move in and take over, Lord, that they'll do that, that they'll, they'll start following the spirit. Father, if they've already believed and the Spirit's already moved in, that they'll just start following the Spirit so that they could experience that. But Lord, we pray that today. God, I want to just pray right now for anybody in this room who has yet to say yes to you that today they could do that. So I'm praying right now, and if you're just hearing my voice and you've, you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm just going to take a minute and I'm going to pray. And I just want to invite you to pray with me. And you just invite God into your life. And you just tell the Lord, you're going to follow Jesus. You want his peace. So just pray with me. God, I've heard your message today. I believe. And I want your peace. I want to follow Jesus. I believe that he's your son. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose again, and I want to follow his way. And I give my heart and my life to you. No, nobody else looking around right now, but if that's you, you just prayed that with me. Would you just raise your hand up real high just so I can celebrate with you? Say, hey, uh, Steve, I just gave my, my life to Jesus. I just decided to follow him. Would you raise that up? Lord, we thank you. Thanks for bringing us here together today. God, thank you for the peace that you give us in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to follow you. We love you, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text KNOWJESUS to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.